When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, I'm Solejo, and you're listening to the Extra Spicy Podcast. Today's episode is about someone you might know, or maybe some people you might know. You might interact with them regularly even, especially if you love coffee. Yes, I'm talking about your barista. You know, that person who knows your name or at least your coffee order, and maybe, you know, has some (laughs) mental notes about how finicky you are. You might remember our recent episode on the unionization drives at Starbucks, but this is about another big part of the barista life cycle. You see, they might also compete in high-pressure, super-structured coffee competitions, where everything, from how many times you tap your cup to the color of your pants, is scrutinized by a panel of judges. The first time my guest today went to a competition, it did not go great. In 15 minutes, I said blueberry 27 times. <laughs> Which is a lot of times to say one word. (laughs) On this episode, I talked to Veronica Grimm, the self-titled Chief Glitter Officer of Glittercat, an organization that provides training, support, and mentorship for people from marginalized communities who want to get into barista competitions. Because like those stages, like most places in in any industry, are overrun by neurotypical, non-disabled, cishet white men. But Veronica and Glittercat are doing something about it. And optimism warning, things might actually be getting better. I hope you enjoy our interview. Veronica, I'm so glad to be speaking with you today because I've been trying to picture what exactly a coffee competition is. I'm imagining something like Iron Chef, but with cups. Is that anything close to what goes down? Yeah, honestly, like you hit the nail on the head, really, right there. So there's like these sanctioned coffee competitions by the Specialty Coffee Association. And every country has a national. Then if you win, you compete at the world level. And what I really fell in love with was the barista competition. So it's a 15-minute presentation where you serve four sensory judges, an espresso, a milk beverage, so like a cappuccino or something like that and then a signature drink. Um, So Mm. it's basically like a cocktail, but you're not allowed to use alcohol. You just use your espresso kind of as your base spirit, and then you build drinks all around espresso. While you have two tech judges like watching every single move you make, and like if you like tap your like coffee tool three times for your first shot and only two times for your next shot, you lose points. What? Um, yes, it's so intense. <laughs> like, it's, it's wild. Um, so they're kind of like taps or is, is something crooked or out of line? Um, did you like have a superfluous movement? Things like that. Um, <laughs> it's really fun though. And you get to tell this story. You have 15 minutes to like craft this presentation, like either about like relationships or community. Some people go like super sciencey and really nerdy. 
um, which like those kind of presentations usually go over my head. Uh, I'm more on like the relationship <laughs> uh, community side or, or then leaning into like um, issues in the coffee industry and presenting solutions for the future. Wow. Okay. This is getting kind of heady, actually. They don't do that in Iron Chef. True. true. Yeah. No, it's, it's like Iron Chef with a, lot of, a few extra steps. <laughs> <laughs> and how did you first get involved? So you began as a barista, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was a barista to get through college. Um, it was a better job than being an ice cream scooper. And mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, not that there's anything wrong with scooping ice cream. I just like mornings. I'm a super morning person. And scooping ice cream in the morning isn't as popular as having a latte in the morning. Sure. And 10 months after I like pulled my first shot of espresso, not even, honestly, it was probably only like eight months after, 10 months after I like clocked in for my first coffee job shift, I was competing. Like my, the coffee trainer was a competitor and they wanted another one. And they're like, Hey, do you want to, do you want to do this? And I did, and I didn't. I did terribly, but it was <laughs> it was really fun. I said um, in fifteen minutes, I said blueberry twenty seven times, <laughs> <laughs> which is a lot of times to say one word. <laughs> in fifteen minutes, yeah. In fifteen minutes. So okay, what do people get for for doing this? It sounds really nerve wracking. Yeah, it's it's really nerve wracking. It's a, a lot of stress, and I would say the biggest thing that we get from it is, is the people we, we meet along the way and kind of those relationships that are built. The, like the winner of the United States Barista Championships gets like $500. There's definitely not cash incentive, especially when registration is $500. Um, mm. so. Oh my God, it's like <laughs> the worst gamble. It's t- yeah, if budget wise, do you get to spend a lot of money in, in the competition? <laughs> So you get to revive the economy. That's great. Yeah. Uh, no, but like the like the reason I'm still in the coffee industry, I've been in the coffee industry for 12 years now, is in large part due to competitions um, because of the people that I've met, the mentors I've had. And now as I've kind of shifted into being a mentor and being a coach and like, growing as a professional like my entire career still circles around these coffee competitions and projects that are like tendriling off of them and and I think that's really that's really special for me so you want to share that through glitter cat right is that so that's the premise of the organization yeah we started glitter cat the year that I took second in the U.S. so um almost won uh but still a champion um each, That's amazing. Like, like each year there's one winner, right? But I, I believe that there's a lot of champions that come out every year. And whatever you choose to do with the placings that you took or the people you met or the skills you developed and how you apply them to your professional, personal lives and careers, that makes you a champion. That's and. That's really how I viewed myself taking second is it was it was the first time I really had like kind of this recognition and kind of a a platform to stand on. And I asked myself, what do I want to do with this? And I knew I wanted to win. I wanted to compete one more time. I also didn't feel good about getting back on that stage without being a part of a solution to start seeing more representation on the competition stages because like those stages like most places in in 
any industry are overrun by neurotypical, non-disabled, cishet white men. Mm. At the time, I was presenting as as a gay, like a gay white man, and I've mm-hmm. since transitioned and identify as a trans woman. So at the time, I was a little more like fabulous and quirky and weird than everyone else on the stage, but I still like saw <laughs> myself over there. Like it looked like a space I should be in. And so that's what started Glitter Cat, which is an all expenses paid training program for these competitions to start breaking down barriers and increase representation on those stages. And so that's like how it started and it's grown into have quite a few other projects, but the core of the organization has always circled around trying to shift the the visible representation within these spaces that have historically kept marginalized people out of them. So you mentioned that for instance the costs associated with being in competition are pretty high. Is that the root of this of this lack of diversity? It's part of it, but I think What's a little bit deeper in into this root cause is a lot of the people working behind bar are people representing various marginalized communities and identities. A lot of the people mm. getting promoted into higher up positions, whether it's internal or external, the higher up you go, the, the fewer people representing different communities you see. And it starts to turn a lot more mm. white, a lot more cis male. Um, a lot more neurotypical and non-disabled. And as you get higher up into these positions, that's typically when a company will invest in that person to be a coffee competitor um, because it is a lot of time. And oddly enough, while it's called the U.S. Barista Championships, most people in the semifinals and finals haven't worked as a barista in years. Um, Stop. No, really? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really sad. Um, the, uh, like most, a lot of them are cafe owners or like wholesale <laughs> trainers, educators. Wow. Um, I mean, you know, yes, shade, uh, but like what, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. that's like having a cat show with like, I don't even know, stuffed animals. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's, it's like a different level. And they, these people in these higher positions, they're typically salaried and they can make their own schedule. And so they have their job, but they can make space for training and make space for time for training for mm-hmm. these competitions. Because like, it's a ton of work. You're memorizing a 15-minute script. You're doing all this workflow. You're creating a story and a presentation. A lot of these opportunities to compete aren't often opened up to baristas or hourly coffee workers. So that's like one limiting thing, leaning into that lack of representation there. The other reason is a lot of the score, the score sheets were written first, like 20 years ago, by a lot of like European and US white people. And so the rules are very. Okay. Um, like the definition of professionalism is very antiquated and uh, very mm. heteronormative. And like I've lost points for like wearing too colorful of pants before. Um, <laughs> what? Um, yeah, a lot of like femme people <laughs> have lost points. Is this like a points. church? Like what is right? going on? <laughs> exactly. Like femmes are like losing points for wearing skirts or like... 
Um, and so we're shifting, we're shifting the conversation and we're, we're, we're really trying to push for this professionalism score to just be taken out. Glittercat launched a slogan last year that was F star CK professionalism. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to, to pronounce the word. Um, and so like we have that on our spoons for this year and it's really encouraging people to like throw out this idea of professionalism that we've all been, many of us have been taught and have had to cater to in order to get jobs or to get promotions. That kind of idea came from this like really terrible rule in these barista competitions that say you have to be one style of professional and play a certain type of like jazz music in order for it to be welcoming for everyone. Oh my God. Okay. So that's awful. Do you feel like you've been listened to? by these powers that be? I do. It's been like, what, four years? Yeah, yeah, it's been four years. Here in the U.S. is separate. In they, they've separated themselves from the rest of the world in in ways that are sometimes good and sometimes not as good. And I think there's kind of two sides to every story and a kind of a flip to every every coin. And the U.S. has been pushing really hard and has been listening. And like the rules and regulations now. Um, instead of saying she, her, like a competitor, like he slash she, it says mm. they, them. So they've kind of degendered the, the rules and regulations, which was major. And that, that actually wasn't something Glittercat was a part of. That happened the year before we started. But it was one of those things where I'm like, wait, things can change and people will listen. And so going into our second year off of our first year, we had a lot of momentum and a ton of support. And so we grew the program to include other coffee competitions because within this like series of competitions there's one about brewing coffee there's one about coffee and alcohol mm. there's a roasting competition a tasting competition and a latte art one so there's like six different competitions and so we hosted training programs for four of them and it was so beautiful to see like the glitter cats like these legendary people coming together and meeting different cohorts <laughs> and immediately having mm. this place of connection but the energy in these spaces was so much more welcoming. We were seeing so much more diversity on these stages and other people that hadn't competed in the past that weren't a part of the Glitter Cap program were starting to be like, no, I do belong here. Like I belong in these spaces. In, in Nashville, we had a competition and there was like a record number of black barista competitors that came out to compete. And that's not directly because of Glitter Cat. There's a few, there's like, there's a bunch of things that led up to that point. But Glitter Cat was a part of that wave where people were like, no, I should be here and I belong here and I'm valued here. And even if this score sheet doesn't say so, now there's all this people making this community safer and safer and safer. And like that Nashville competition stands out in my head as kind of like the pinnacle of like where we've come and where we want to go and where we're headed. And from there, the first black barista competitor and the first black brewer's cup competitor and the first coffee, black coffee and good spirits competitor, all women qualified for the national competitions on that day. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay. And that, I mean, Rarely do I hear optimistic news when I talk to people. So this feels really good. I'm so happy. That's that's awesome. That's a huge progress, and and to see that very tangibly at that weekend is is really special. And there's a ton of work to do 
it's exhausting as I'm sure like you, I mean, you, you've talked to so many people from so many different walks of, of life and, and it's tough. It's really tough. And I would be lying to say if I like, if I was just as energized, optimistic person all the time. (laughs) (laughs) You're listening to the extra spicy podcast. We'll be right back after the break. You can support this podcast and the newsroom that creates it by subscribing to the San Francisco Chronicle at sfchronicle.com slash pod. I'm Soleho and we're back with Veronica Grimm. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, do you do you deal with pushback from within the coffee industry? Like, it, it seems like a win-win for everyone. For the most part, there is little pushback. This year, the competitions are are unique. The nationals are happening in a month and like usually there's a qualifying competition beforehand, but there wasn't like safe timing before in order to do it. So they decided to do a weighted lottery system. So everyone could apply and then you would self-identify certain marginalizations. So gender marginalization, disabled, neurodivergent, uh, person of color, things like that. And then you were put into a weighted lottery and people were drawn because there was such a small number of slots open. I don't think there's any necessarily right answer in how to kind of handle it. Definitely first come, first serve didn't work, but the, the committee really wanted to see more representation on these stages in a lottery setting. Um, so the pushback was they, they got quite a few emails from some white men were were a little frustrated and saying that there's not going to be enough uh, representation of them on stage. <laughs> <laughs> So okay. like I there's there's good <laughs> like my answer was good. Uh, that's that's the whole point. <laughs> but I think like the kind of the opposite of pushback is as we've grown, certain organizations want to be a part of of the progress, and like we we love partnering with new people and new organizations and finding creative ways to make pro make and create programming but sometimes the expectations of like what we're able to do and then what companies want in return gets a gets hard we're a 501c3 nonprofit that is run mostly by myself and my husband and we have a designer who who does all of our design work and then we work with like quite a few volunteers and instructors and things like that but all the financials all the accounting all of the program development the program implementation the organization like buying f- flights and navigating food that's all done by myself and my husband and hmm. running a nonprofit is really tough and like the the number of regulations and rules and like in order to accept a donation from someone you have to be registered in their state so oh gosh like even have a donate like a donate now button on a website there's like a lot of like legal trickiness you have to go around because if someone from a state you're not registered in donates to you it basically triggers this need to be registered in that state but states want you to be registered before you receive your first donation mm. Mm-hmm. And it's like all these things like I had I found out as we were learning and making mistakes and getting a, like the first time I got fined because we weren't registered in the state was like it kind of it I didn't know I had no idea that that I had hired lawyers that got our paperwork together but I I was and it's not their fault but I I it sh- I should have done a little more due diligence there and made sure that we were completely in compliance which I thought we were. 
but so like that's it's kind of like I said it's like the opposite of pushback it's a lot of excitement but not taking a pause to really understand what it means to donate to and support a small growing nonprofit. Wow. Yeah. No, that sounds really complicated for such a, you know, straightforward kind of mission. I mean, yeah. Wow. I I thought you were going to say like people were wanting you to like do branding and like Mm -hmm. show off like bounty paper towels like on stage or something. But Thankfully, that's not. Yeah, <laughs> thankfully, we we like we we get their 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 like swag and things like that, and have them at the boot camps. But in it's really important to us that this doesn't become a corporate thing. So in all of our contracts with mm-hmm. our sponsors, we state that anyone going through our programming has zero obligation to thank or acknowledge sponsors. <laughs> nice. I did want to ask about cafes, actually. And one thing that I've noticed just as an observer and frequenter of cafes, especially in the past few years, is that they seem to be this sort of front line for a lot of political stuff, not just essential worker rhetoric and, you know, the complications thereof. Mm -hmm. But also, you know, you have these stories about confrontations at coffee shops between baristas and, you know, anti-maskers and police and, you know, just disgruntled people in general. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I would love to hear just how a sort of progressive political mission, how does that intersect with that? How does that fit into confrontation-heavy world of coffee shops? Oh, wow. It's like that really is a, a, a fascinating situation where just last week, one of our, like my, my friends who owns a shop had like someone who was like reaching into their kiosk and like throwing stuff around because they're like out of something and like the surveillance footage it's terrifying i'm not sure if i necessarily like have a very specific answer to that but outside of agreeing with you that coffee workers are on the like the front lines of people's emotions and are so frequently taken advantage of aren't finding those spaces to be in that are safe or where they feel like they belong what i would really like to see is more owners putting systems in place that that defend their workers and really support the human portion of that job. And some people are doing that. Some organizations really are. And like they're honoring sick time for like mental health or, or, or physical health. I don't know. I find the, the, the contrast between this highly regimented world of barista competitions and the sort of broader denigration of what baristas do so interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, like it seems like such a disconnect. Yeah, it it really is. And I that's like in a dream world, these barista competitions would shift to being back to being about the, the barista themselves and give more flexibility in how they want to serve the judges and how they want to make the drinks. And like the rules have become so like regimented and so like rule heavy. It's, it's losing a lot of room for creativity. And then these baristas aren't even the ones that are competing in the shop, baristas are often asked to be like the spokesperson for the, the, the roaster, the coffee shop, like for the, the owners or the coffee buyers buying practices or um, other like ethical issues in coffee. Like how much are you paying for this pound of coffee? Are you contributing to the, mm-hmm. to the sea market crisis? And it's like, I, I'm just a barista. I, I am making your <laughs> coffee and like that is my job. But baristas are expected to know all of that. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not fair. And it's, it's tiring. Does that fall within the purview of Glitter Cat's work too? Is just improving the, I don't know, the reputation. I, I don't want to say they have a bad <laughs> reputation, but you know what I mean? Like just 
yeah. the esteem of that kind of work. Yeah, I think I think so. So as as we've grown, we've grown our programming and our reach. And one of the programs that we started, it was started during the protests during the National Reckoning on Race in the summer of 2020. It started as this business accountability project of how can we hold businesses accountable to all these like broad, fancy statements that they were saying about their commitment to anti-racism because we saw a lot of, of fancy words that were happening, but not a lot of follow through. And so we started this program and it transitioned into the anti-racism hospitality overhaul. So um, Eric was, Eric's my husband and then another glitter cat legend helped develop this program that was working with coffee shops to rewrite and rework handbooks and training manuals and hiring and promotion practices and like making sure you're hiring within your community is not just going into a community and bringing a bunch of people in from outside of the community and things like that to make cafe spaces safer for workers and guests. And then it kind of shifted into this like human resources overhaul where uh, Eric got HR certified and we want to now work with sponsors to get other baristas certified and being HR professionals to hopefully have HR kind of circle back a little bit more to focus on supporting the baristas and the people and honoring those jobs. Because if you you don't feel safe or valued or that you belong in a place as a barista, then you're not going to care as much about like what you're doing. But also like if you're not an owner, you shouldn't have the expectation of caring about the shop as much as an owner. And that's, I'm just going to like throw that out there and (laughs) whatever owner wants to to come for me, uh, come for me. But, uh, (laughs) and so we're trying to find ways in which we can support baristas and hourly coffee workers in a way that could create systems for moving forward to see positive benefit that could extend past Glitter Cat as an organization. That's really, really cool. Okay, from a from a coffee lover's perspective, you know, this is all really amazing and, you know, to some degree, a little bit of inside baseball stuff, but still fascinating. If you are just not involved in coffee shops at all beyond going to them, you know, how can people support this work? The f- biggest thing is if you go to a coffee shop, tip your barista and tip them well. Baristas are very frequently paid minimum wage or like just above and rely heavily on tips. If you can do cash tips, that's even better if, if the cafe is accepting it versus credit card tips where like credit card fees and stuff get taken out. So biggest thing, tip your barista. Then there's quite a few organizations that you can support both from afar or or locally with Glitter Cat helping to stay involved. We like we're accept we accept monthly donations, one-time donations. We have a monthly coffee release, which is really amazing. It's called the Roaster's Spotlight. It features past Glitter Cat legends, which we call our alumni legends because every person this program touches is a legend. So past legends create this curated coffee box of roasted coffee and like create a, like a very personalized brand and have uh, swag items. It's really special. So that's like ways you can support Glitter Cat our, like ourselves. I do want you to clarify, though, when you say tip well, how much do you mean? I personally like to tip like 40% on on mm-hmm. something. Like for me, it's like going out to get coffee is a special thing. And I like, I probably do it like twice. I probably go to a cafe like twice a week. And the difference is, can be substantial. At least a dollar per drink. Like if you go to a bar 
and someone makes like gives you a beer you're you like it's it's standard to tip a dollar on a draft beer and for a cocktail it's probably standard to tip two or three dollars so if you're getting a latte every day thinking about tipping a little more that like that's a lot more labor and if you're getting a drip coffee and you tip a dollar on drip coffee that's a 50 percent tip right there so 40 to 50 percent is a good rule of thumb and it might seem like a lot but it matters it really matters thank you so much and if people are trying to find you or your work, uh, where's the best place for them to find you? Thank you so much. I really appreciate this this conversation and being able to share some of these things. You can find us online at glittercatbarista.com or on Instagram at glittercatbarista. We, thankfully, we can keep it really simple and just have it be glittercatbarista.com uh, across the board. And we have a newsletter you can sign up for, for updates on, on programming and registrations on how to be more involved with the program as well. Thank you so much. It's been so great talking to you, Veronica. Thank you, Saleh. I really appreciate it. Thanks again to my guest, Veronica Grimm, for speaking with me today. Today's episode was produced and edited by Taya Francesca Price with help from executive producer Sarah Feldberg. If you're enjoying Extra Spicy, please tell a friend about it and give it a rating on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening.